one of the things that all of us have in common, all of us, is nobody loves to be stuck. Um, stuck in traffic, stuck behind the slow person in the counter, stuck. No, nobody enjoys being stuck. Now, illustration I'm about to use, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably never heard this one, but stay with me because I've got a point. Um, I, have you ever been in a public place and all of a sudden you just, you got to go? Like you just, you got to go. I'm talking about, you're like, go where? To the bathroom. You got to go to the bathroom. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but, but if I'm in a public place, I prefer, this is just me personally, I prefer to make, to go home, to go to, to the bathroom. And some of you are like, what, why? I'm, I'm talking about, for a guy, the kind that takes paperwork. You know what I'm talking about? That kind. So I prefer to go home. Anybody with me on that? You want to go to your own? Yeah, I, I'm not really down with the public bathrooms or whatever. Um, and, but, but once you turn 50, you have no choice because uh, you can't trust a fart, all right? I'm just telling you, you can't. <laughs> stay with me. Stay with me, okay? So I know this. So, so, so I, recently I was out with some friends, and, 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 and I felt the urge, and I was like, I don't want to do this because I'm in a public place, but, but I got I to go. And so I go into the bathroom, guy's bathroom. There's three stalls. There is somebody in this stall. And there's somebody in this stall, which that's, that's guy code. If you walk into a stall, you don't go to the next one, you go to one. But, but I had no choice. I had to go to the middle stall. And so I went in the middle stall and, and, and had my opportunity and took the opportunity. And after I did, um, I discovered something that you, maybe if you've ever been in this situation, you've been there and discovered it too. I looked and there was no, no, no toilet paper. And I'm stuck. So, so if you, how many have ever been in this situation? You've okay, yeah, yeah. So for a guy, I don't know how women handle this, but guys, we do. You, you, you kind of look under the the see if there's feet, and there's still feet right here, and and then you look over right here, and, and there's still feet right here. And so if you're a guy, you don't start a conversation. You don't. I don't, I don't need another rumor flying around about me, so I'm not talking to anybody. <laughs> and you're just stuck. And you don't, like, you don't know what, you're just like, I'm gonna wait on you. I'm gonna wait on you. Like, you have, so I thought about calling 911. I thought about, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, I, and, and then finally, you know, one of them leaves, but I'm, I'm like, I need both of y'all to get out. And so they both, and, and the whole point of that is nobody enjoys that feeling of being stuck. Nobody. You, you can talk to anybody in the room, Christian, non-Christian, anybody watching online, what do you want to do this afternoon? Nobody says, I want to go get stuck in traffic. I want to go get stuck in a situation. I want to get stuck in the middle of a situation that I've never found myself in. And the same thing's true about every single one of us spiritually. I would be willing to bet that nobody in this room, nobody watching online right now, wants to be stuck spiritually. I, and the reason I believe that is because you're actually here. Now, now you, you could leave and stay stuck. That's possible for all of us. But I don't think anybody wants to be. But why is it that sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, if I'm just being honest, we can, we can feel stuck 
in our spiritual journey. We can feel stuck in our walk with Jesus, especially around Christmas time. Everybody's being all, uh, singing all the Christmas songs, and, and Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year until it's not. Sometimes it's, it's the worst time of the year for some people, especially spirit. We feel so stuck in our relationship with Jesus. How do we get unstuck? Well, I'm glad, glad you asked. We're going to talk about the shepherds today. Last week, we talked about the wise men. This week, we're going to talk about the shepherds because the fact that the shepherds are in the story of Jesus is absolutely amazing. If you've got a manger scene, remember we talked about drummer boys not there last week. We talked about the wise men. The shepherds are in the manger scene, and the fact that the shepherds are there are amazing. Let's, let's look at what Luke said in his gospel. There's two accounts. There's four accounts of the life of Jesus, but two, Matthew and Luke, really focus in on their birth. Here we go, All right, on his birth. Luke 2 says this, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, there's two things to understand about the, she- two things to understand about the shepherds. Number one is they were, they were more than likely Jewish. They, they, in fact, they grew up in a Jewish home, and Jewish boys were sent to school for the first five or six years of their life, and they learned all about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They, they knew all about the Torah, the law. And so they, they knew essentially what the Bible said. So they were, they were Jewish. In today's world, we would say that they, they would be Christian. But then there was a problem. They were shepherds. Shepherds were considered by the religious people to be unclean. Now, the, the Bible doesn't say shepherds are unclean. Religion said shepherds are unclean. Isn't it funny that there was a time, once upon a time, that there were people who actually made up extra commands that weren't in the Scripture to make other people feel bad about themselves? We came so far in 2,000 years. But, but the religious people called the shepherds unclean. Now, here's what's ironic about this. There's a couple things that are ironic. Number one, the, these shepherds were in Bethlehem, right outside of Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is where they would have taken care of the sheep that actually were sacrificed in the temple because Bethlehem was only six miles away from Jerusalem. So they were good enough to take care of the sheep, but they couldn't actually go to the temple. They, couldn't, they, they were considered by the religious people to be ceremonially unclean. In other words, they, there was all kind of ceremonies and rituals they had, would have to go through if they wanted to go to the temple to come into the presence of God. So they were, they were shepherds, which in today's world, somebody would look at somebody like that and say, um, especially in the South, they're backslidden. You ever heard that phrase? They're backslidden. Y'all pray for me. I'm backslidden. And I didn't even know what that meant for, for the longest. And I was like, dear God, aren't we all at some point in our lives? But, but if, if you were a religious person looking at these guys, you would say, well, they're not good people. Or they, they were good at one time but they are doing some things that they shouldn't do. They're shepherds. They're nasty. And and by the way, isn't it funny how Jesus always, always goes out of his way to identify with the people that religion throws away? Because in John chapter 10, when Jesus is describing himself, he tells people, I am the good shepherd. In other words, what you say is not good. Jesus said, that's, 
I'm identifying with those people. Anyway, that's just a point in the story. We'll keep, we'll keep going. Watch this. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Now, I love, I love it when, I love it slash don't love it when, have you ever talked to somebody that's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? You ever talked to those people? And I remember I was discussing, I was in a Bible study one time, we were discussing this passage, and there was a lady there, and it, I'm not talking about women in general, you got to say that, because some of them are, I can't believe we talked about what, it just happened to be a woman at this Bible study, could have been a man at another Bible study, but I'm just a woman at the best Bible study, this is what she said. I don't know why they were terrified. If I would have been there, and an angel would have shown up, I would have said, glory to Jesus. And I would have raised my hands in worship, and I would have praised God. And I'm sitting there going, not me. If an angel showed up, let me put it to you this way. If you are not where you think you need to be in your walk with God, in fact, you think, not only are you, you're not where you need to be, you're, you're not even close to where you need to be in your walk with God. And all of a sudden, God shows up. What do you think's about to happen to you? Yeah, you're about to get your clock cleaned. I remember, it, it, the, the thing that reminded me is, there was a time in, in my life when I was growing up that when my mama would spank me, I don't know if people get spanked anymore. I, I got spanked. I got it a lot. Um, I got it. Sometimes I just got bonuses. You got one at school, you got one at home. Um, but there got a, there became a time when my mom would spank me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt. I, I was, you know, and I, I probably shouldn't have let her know. I'd be like, ooh, a little bit more to the left, you know, and, but it, it, it didn't hurt. And so, so then she came up with this thing. She was like, go to your room and wait to your father to come home. Now that improved my prayer life. Because I would go pray that my father would never come home. I would, I would, and then, I don't know if you did this, but I would start putting on two pair of underwear, three pair of underwear, start stuffing stuff down in your pants or whatever. Um, then, and, and daddy always came home. And it was not good. And that's what the, shep the reason the shepherds are terrified is because they think, well, here's the deal. We're not where we're supposed to be in our walk with God because all the religious people said we're not good people. And God showed up, so he's obviously here to kick butt and take names. He's obviously here to judge us. He's obviously here to punish us. He's obviously here to condemn us. And, and they, they were scared. By the way, that's the reason a lot of people avoid church, God, Jesus, religion today, is they're afraid that they've been so bad that if they act... I had somebody tell me one time, Pastor Pia, can't come to your church. If I were, if I were to walk in your church, the building would fall in. I was like, well, we'll give you a construction hat. Come on, we'll figure it out. Let's, let's just get in there, all right? So, so they're scared to death. They're horrified. The angels are there. And then watch what the angel says, because this has always blown my mind. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, with an exclamation point. So he kind of yelled it at him a little bit. Angels yelling at shepherds. He said, I bring you. Good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, that's mind-blowing. First thing, he said, I bring you on three. We're going to say this together. I bring you one, two, three. Good. Good. Could you use 
some good news. Dear God, I don't cut on my TV anymore unless I'm watching sports. I don't. I don't. I got tired of seeing. Let me put, let me pause real quick. I'm going to tell y'all how I feel. I'm not saying it to be offensive. If it offends you, just pray about it. See where it sits in your spirit. This is just how I feel. Every time I see Dr. Fauci on my television, I want to go and lay in traffic. Because, hold on, hold on. Because he never shares good news. It's always bad news. Every time I'm like, oh! The other day, he's like, the Omnicron. Have y'all heard of this? The Omnicron. I thought the Transformers that came out with a new movie, Omnicron. Oh, here comes Mark Wahlberg again, you know, the Omnicron. And, and, and they, Fauci came on the other day, and he's like, ah, the droplets could get, and you got to be careful and put on the mask. And I'm like, what? The, what? That's not good news. I, I can't. Now, some, some people watch the news so much that they're freaked out. That's the reason I'm, I'm just laid back. I had somebody ask me the other day, after I preached that message a couple months ago, what if COVID kills you, Pastor P? I'm like, I go to heaven, I win. <laughs> good news. Couldn't you use some good news? Hey, couldn't we use some good news in church? The reason a lot of people have stopped going to church is because churches forgot how to preach good news. Now, this, this next part, stay with me for a second. You're going to have to stay with me in order to get where I'm going. But the churches aren't preaching good news. They're giving good advice. But there's a difference between good advice and good news. For example, you should quit looking at porn well, that's, that's true. That's good advice. But it's not good news. In fact, if you're looking at porn, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, don't worry. But if you're looking, if you're looking at porn, you, you, don't, you don't hear any good news in that. You need to quit abusing drugs and alcohol. Well, that's true. No, nobody would, I don't think anybody would argue with that. But if you're abusing drugs and alcohol, it's not good news. When I was abusing alcohol, I would have people say, you need to quit. Okay. It's true, but it's not good news. Here's, my, here's one of my favorites. You need to get over your anxiety. Oh, well. Captain Genius Obvious, Mr. Spiritual Walk-on-Water person. You're, you're right. In fact, that, that's true. But is it good news? No. Pastor P, I, I just believe churches ought to preach the truth. Well, I, I do too. But I believe you can preach the truth and good news together. Amen. Let me show you how it's done, okay? Just, just for example. Instead of saying... You need to quit looking at porn. Here's the good news. You can quit looking at porn. Through the power of Jesus, you actually can stop that addiction. That's good news. Amen. 
Instead of saying, you need to quit abusing drugs and alcohol, the good news is you can quit abusing drugs and alcohol. That's good news. That's why Jesus died. Instead of telling somebody, you need to get over your anxiety, the, the good news is you can get over anxiety. You can get over depression. You can break free of the darkness. That's good news. And that's why Jesus came, not to just give us good advice, but to give us good news that we don't have to live in chains and bondage, that we can actually live in freedom. That's good news. He said... I give you good news that will bring you great joy. Mm. I heard a pastor the other day, and I don't know why I do this, because I, I don't agree with most of what he says. I'm, I'm not going to tell you his name. <laughs> this time. <laughs> but this is, this, is, this is what he said, and you've heard this, you've heard this, and it's not true. It's not true. The reason I don't like it is because it's not true. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be filled with joy. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be filled with joy. You know my problem with that statement? Is I've met too many Christians that believe, they believe if you're happy, you're not godly. But let me ask you this question. Jesus, when he was, when he was among us, when he lived among us, the most common thing he called God was father. Now, is God a good, good father? Yes, we got a song about it, right? You're a good, good father. Let me ask you this question. What good father doesn't want to see his child happy? Like, I love it when my daughter laughs. I've shared that, but that's, if you're a dad or you're, or you're a mom, when you hit, hear your kid belly laugh, isn't that the greatest thing in the world? None of you ever went, stop that in the name of the Lord. Like, that's not, but you know what? So, so, so I believe God wants us to be happy, but if, we have to, but if we have to choose between happy and joy, because there's some things that'll make us happy in the moment that'll steal our joy long term. But joy, God, God said, I'm sending Jesus to you to put something in you that the world can never take away from you. Because see, you can take away my happiness. You can't take away my joy. Like, we'll just use Philip as an example. Because <laughs> it's easy. When, when Georgia went up 10 to nothing last night, was he happy? Yes. At the end of the game, was he happy? No, but this morning he led music with joy. See, joy is something that the world can't take away from you. It doesn't mean you won't go through tough times. It doesn't, believe you won't have, it doesn't mean you won't walk through valleys. But, but God said, I'm coming to bring you good news that will bring you great joy to all people. I love that. He didn't say some people. He said all people. Even shepherds, even people that feel like they're stuck. Then he goes on to say this. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, 
the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. I love that, wrapped snugly, just snug, snugly, lying in a manger. Now, this is mind-blowing. I, I referred to, I talked about it a little bit last week, but let me, uh, a manger is an animal feeding trough. It's gross. It's nasty. It's dirty. And right here, God is saying, you know what? The shepherds couldn't go to the temple. Remember that? Because they were unclean. So God is saying, because religion has kicked you out, I'll come to you. And I'll come to you and identify you with you in a way you can understand. The manger. The manger is not a symbol of how clean we are. It's a reminder of how dirty we are and how much we need God's grace. I mean, because, let's be honest. Do you compare yourself to other people, yes or no? Yes, yes. say yes, say yes so you don't lie. Y'all already gonna lie about the hoodies, so, so y'all gotta, you just don't lie to me right now. Like when I, I used to go to, now I, I lift weights in my garage, I had my, turn my garage into a gym, but I remember when I used to go to the gym one time, it's a true story. I had 300 pounds on the bar, and I was going to lift it. I was going to bench press it one time, 300 pounds. I felt real good about myself. I laid down on the bench. I got a guy to spot me and, and told him, and so benched it one time. It took me like five minutes to push it up. It was, I, I felt so proud of myself. I had benched 300 pounds, and then I kind of was doing something over here, and a guy walks up to the bench and says, anybody using this? And I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything. I was just like, no, I don't know who's got it. He said, well, I'm just going to... You know, and he sat down and he benched it 10 times. Didn't even break a sweat. I quit working out for six months. I was like, I was just, I, like, like I, I was like, why, why am I here? Guys do that. Girls, do you compare yourself to other girls? Look at her hair. Huh? Look at her hair. Do you love it? I hadn't really been thinking about it. Look at her legs. I'd rather not, you know? <laughs> we compare ourselves, and we do it spiritually too. Christianity, for years and years and years, we've been, we've, we've been comparing ourselves. And, and people that are religious, they're climbing a ladder, but you've heard me say it before. You can climb the ladder, but when you get to the top, it's only two foot. People think Christianity is about well, I, I, that person reads their Bible more than me and they go to church more than me or they give more than me or they do more than me or they do more than me. But here, if you don't get anything I say today, get this. Christianity is not, isn't about measuring up, it's about opening up. Christianity isn't about measuring up. If, you, if, if we're comparing ourselves to other people, we can always find somebody better, we can always find somebody worse. Christianity is about opening up and saying, God, I don't know what you want for my life right now, but the answer is yes. That's what Christianity is. That's how we make progress. That's how we move forward in our walk with Jesus. So, so the shepherds are told they're going to find him in a manger. And this is where it gets crazy. Watch this. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, 
the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth. (laughs) Couldn't we use a little bit of peace on earth? Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, if you're just looking at that verse and looking at the earth in general, you're like, well, God must not be pleased because we don't have a lot of peace. But that's not what he's saying. And I love that another translation says, peace on earth to those whom, whose God's favor rests. Another word for favor is who God's grace rests. In other words, the peace that can be experienced here on earth is not found in anything on the earth. It's found in the grace of God, which can only be received by Jesus Christ. That's how we have peace on earth. There will never be a government that will ever bring peace on earth. Ever. So the shepherds decide to do something crazy. They get a little impulsive. The Bible says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. Question, were they excited? Yes or no? Did did they have to get ready or did, did, did they just go as they were in their shepherding outfits, all smelly and stinky and nasty? I got a question for you. Don't answer out loud. How much time did you spend getting ready for church today? I, some of y'all don't have to answer. It's obvious you didn't spend a lot of time. You, you didn't. You just, I'm just being honest. Just being, talking to the guys mainly. I had to start paying attention to it more a couple years ago because um, I, I had a comment one time online that said, and I'm not being mean, it just said, hey, Pastor Fee, enjoyed the message today, just but couldn't get past the fact that you wore those same jeans last week. Okay. And a few weeks later, it's like, hey, you wore that shirt two weeks ago. All right. So I started an Excel sheet. I'm not making this up. All my shirts have nicknames. All my pants have nicknames. I've got everything I've worn for the past three years documented in an Excel spreadsheet. No, I will not tell you the nicknames, and you cannot see the sheet. I just, I have to go to my sheet the night before. Did I, when did I wear that? Pull it up. Bam. Got it. I, I have to pay attention so that Karen is okay with my jeans. I'm just saying. <laughs> Every week, somebody pulls me in, and I say, I love the message. Who is Karen? You're always picking on her. Anyway, if, if, if you don't know, you're good. You, you're good, okay? So it brought me back around to thinking, how much time do you spend getting ready for church? Like, I'm talking about hair, makeup, clothes. How many times do you change outfits before you come? I'm just, I, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Because this is the question that I got convicted with. This is a conviction. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just telling you, this is the question I got convicted with. As soon as the shepherds heard about Jesus, they went. This was the question I had. What if we spent 
half of the time on Sunday preparing our hearts as we did in preparing our appearance. Like, what, could, what would happen if we showed up? We showed up to church and we expected something to happen. Like, like when we're in the parking lot, we're like, I don't know what's going to happen today, but something's going to happen because when we get together, stuff happens. And that's true here at Second Chance. We've never had a Sunday that somebody didn't accept Christ. We never had a Sunday that God didn't move in a service. Something's, something's going to, I don't know what God's going to do. What if, what if we pull up in the parking lot and we're like, I don't know what God's going to do in me, but I just, I'm just, I'm just going to pause for 10 seconds and say, God, I want you to do something in my life today. What would, what would happen? What could happen if we showed up with that in mind? It's just a question, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just, I was convicted a little bit, so I just, that's me. It's, it's therapy. Hi, my name's Perry. Yeah, some of y'all answered. Some of y'all got it. The rest of y'all didn't. You need to. Now, here's what's crazy. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. Now, if you're Mary and Joseph, you got Jesus snugly. Made me think of four, four Christmases. Swaddle, woman! Anyway, if you haven't seen it, you don't know, but all swaddled and snugly, and you just got the baby down, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, and shepherd, there's shepherds, they're nasty, they're dirty, they're gross. You're not excited about these people seeing your newborn son, but they showed up. And there was the baby lying in the manger, just like God said. So we can take God, we can trust him at his word. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened and what the, child, what, what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel told them. This is the most confusing part of the story. It don't fit the Christian narrative. Because you got shepherds, backslidden, unclean shepherds. They have an encounter with God. They see Jesus. And at the end of the story, they're shepherds. That's not how it's supposed to go in Christian circles. We got, we, Christianity, we, we've taken Christianity and turned it into fairy tales, haven't we? Like, we're used to hearing the story of the person getting on stage. Hey, share your testimony, brother. He gets on stage, he's like, I was a crack smoking axe murderer. Got on the airplane, sat next to a guy reading his Bible. I said, what book are you reading? He said, I'm reading the Holy Scriptures. I said, I don't know what the Holy Scriptures are. Five minutes later, I gave my life to Jesus, asked the stewardess, for a parachute, parachuted out of the plane, landed in a jungle full of unreached people, led the whole tribe to Jesus. And today I'm the president of the North American Baptist Mission Association. <laughs> Have you heard that one? But th this is a crazy testimony. Hey, Shepherd people, can you share your story? Yeah. We're in a we're in a field and angels showed up. We were scared to death. We thought we were dead. Told us about Jesus. We went and saw Jesus. 
And then, um, then we came back and we were shepherds. Well, that don't sound right. Because it, it, fairy tale Christianity says that you're shepherds and you meet Jesus and all of a sudden you become saints. And, and, and you traded in your shepherd's robes for like golden robes and you walked around, you just kind of floated and had, I mean, that like, what, what do you mean you were shepherds? Where's the change? I mean, you were stuck as shepherds and all of a sudden you're still, like, how do you, how do you, how do you think you're not stuck anymore? It's very simple. It's very simple. The shepherds went back to being shepherds with the knowledge that Jesus, the Messiah, was alive. That's the difference. It's a person who doesn't know Jesus and the person who knows that Jesus is alive. And if you know, if you know that Jesus is alive and you're a Christian, that means you know that Jesus is alive in you. And if you know that Jesus is alive in you, you know that nothing is impossible. That's what I call good news. That's what I call the gospel. That's what I think the world needs more of. It's all through the scriptures. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I just read the book of Job. Um, I don't, if you're brand new to Bible, I don't recommend the book of Job to start with. It's actually the oldest book in the Bible. It's older than the book of Genesis, but it's, it's not, and it's not encouraging. Starts out with a guy named Job, right? Very rich, good marriage, lots of kids. By the end of the second chapter, all his kids are dead. He's bankrupt, and his wife is looking at him going, I wish you'd have died too. I mean, life falls apart. His friends show up, they're hyper-religious, they're kind of going off on him. And, and Job, Job, by the end of the story, by the end of the story, God blesses him, God restores him. He gets back double what he used to have, but there's this section in the scripture, there's this section in the scripture, this thing that Job says that I think, me personally, I think is the key to this whole thing breaking forth. Job is like, my life is not where it needs to be. I feel like I'm being punished. He said, I feel like I'm being punished unjustly. He said, I feel like I'm stuck. But then he said something I think that we see in the shepherds. He said, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. He will stand upon the earth at last. Job said, I can't understand what I'm going through. I can't understand why all this is happening. I can't understand, but this is, this is one thing I know. My Redeemer is alive. And because he's alive, I can live. I don't know where you are today in your relationship with God. But if you feel stuck, you feel like it's just been the same thing, maybe it's not your circumstances that Jesus wants to change today. Maybe it's our mindset. What if we could walk out this door today and nothing changed other than the working knowledge that I know Jesus is alive, I know Jesus is alive in me, 
And if Jesus is alive in me, then there's nothing impossible in this world that's going to happen to me. So Jesus, over these next few moments, as we pause on the fact that you are alive, I pray for every single person in this room, every single person watching online. God, for those of us that just feel stuck, stuck in a habit, stuck in a condition, stuck in a place, stuck in confusion and frustration and doubt, God, that we could just kind of pause and put that all aside and say, this is the season where we just celebrate Jesus. Even more than that, we celebrate that Jesus is alive. Even more than that, we celebrate that Jesus is alive in me. And Jesus, if you are alive in us, then we literally have the power to overcome anything that the enemy throws our way. May we celebrate, Jesus, today that we know you are alive. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus, I want to thank you so much for the reminder today that you are alive. Not only are you alive, but you are alive in us. And I want to pray for every single person in this room, every single person watching online, Jesus, that just feels stuck. Jesus, that we would know, we would know that in you, we're not stuck. We might be in a holding pattern. But we're not stuck because you are alive in us and you have immeasurably more in store. So, Father, I pray for the person in this room that just needs some faith, that just needs some courage, that just needs some hope. Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak that into our lives right now. Right now that we would receive that and walk out of this place, Jesus, knowing that you are alive in us which means nothing is impossible. Jesus, I want to pray for the person or the people in this room today that do not know you as Savior. Jesus, they know that you are alive, but they don't know that you are alive in them because they've never prayed to receive you into their heart. Right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you need to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life because you know he's alive, but he's not alive in you, then right where you stand right now, I want you to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. I'm going to lead you in this prayer as we do every Sunday. I want to invite you to pray and ask Jesus in your life. You just pray this prayer in your heart. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. Right now, I receive you into my life. Come alive in me, Jesus, and let me see the way you see. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer just now, if you just asked Jesus into your life, do me a favor and shoot your hands straight up in the air right now. Just straight up in the air because I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Hold it straight up in the air, straight up in the air. Father, I want to thank you for every hand that is in the air. I want to thank you for every hand online that just went in the air. I want to thank you, Jesus, for Christmas. I want to thank you at, that you reminded us through the story of the shepherds that you come to us as we are. 
and you draw us to where we need to be. That it doesn't matter how dirty we think we are, Jesus. You love us. You identified with us. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are alive in us. I pray as we walk out of this place that we would know that we had an encounter with you in this room, but not just in this room, in our hearts and in our minds. And as we face this week, we would do so with the knowledge, Jesus, that you are alive, you are alive in us, nothing is impossible. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Everybody that agreed said amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Me too. I'll see y'all back here next Sunday. Y'all have a great week.